Good evening, Living Stones. Glad you guys could join us this evening um, for this Good Friday. Uh, I know Pastor Matt said a little bit, holy moly, thank you. Um, It's kind of weird to call it Good Friday, uh, but as we'll see in a moment, um, there's a reason why we call it Good Friday. Um, So if you've been with us the last few months, we've been going through the Book of Romans, uh, but we decided to take a break from that uh, for this Easter season and really dive in uh, and really take a hard look at Christ um, and his words to see what it is that he would have to say to us. Uh, And so uh, we entitled these last couple weeks, uh, The Words of Christ. And so last week we saw the words of Christ uh, from the donkey uh, as he rode into Jerusalem, uh, not on a war horse where he was coming to claim victory uh, over that city, uh, but he rode it on a donkey, meaning to bring a message of peace uh, to the people that were dwelling there. Uh, tonight, as we look at Good Friday, it's going to be the words of Christ from the cross. Um, and we're going to look and see uh, the seven things, the seven phrases that Christ uh, uttered from the cross. And then Easter Sunday, it's going to be the words of Christ from the garden uh, when we celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. Um, and so I was figuring... Uh, If the Bible says that Jesus is the very word of God that put on flesh, it's probably a good idea for us to look at some of the words he said, uh, because I think he might have some things for us that we can really dwell on and and contemplate and really unpack and have them uh, change our hearts and our minds. So we should take a look at them. Um, So Good Friday, right? Good Friday is the story about Jesus on the cross. And so, like I said, last week we dove into the words of Christ on the donkey as uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And uh, we see how quickly the people of that city changed from saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, to crucify him, crucify him just a couple days later. And the reason they did that is because they found out and weren't too happy about the fact that Jesus didn't come to lead a political revolt against Roman occupation. He didn't come to lead a military charge against people who were keeping them under wraps. He came instead to save people's souls from hell. So the week goes by and and Thursday comes and Jesus has Passover with his boys and and they're all Uh, having dinner that night, and uh, they leave from there, and they go to the after party at the Olive Garden. Um, And it's it's as they're at the Olive Garden uh, that soldiers came uh, as Jesus is praying, and he's in the garden praying, and he's praying so hard that he's sweating, and and drops of blood are dripping off of him. He's he's so into, God, this is the mission you sent me on. Uh, It's in those moments that soldiers came, uh, led him away, led by uh, his good friend Judas Iscariot. Iscariot. They lead him off uh, to the the, uh, religious officials in Jerusalem, and they put him on a a, a fake trial in the middle of the night. And they bring these trumped-up charges on him, things that they knew weren't true. And they lead him through these trials, and they can't do anything with him there because they were under Roman occupation, and so they couldn't put him to death like they wanted to. And so they sent him off to Pontius Pilate, but Pilate knew he was innocent, so he sends him to King Herod, and King Herod is drunk off his rocker. I don't know what he was doing, but he leads him back to, uh, to Pontius Pilate, and it's there that Pontius Pilate uh, succumbs to the political pressure 
and decides to put Jesus to death on a cross. Completely undeserving. But that's what happened. And if you know much about the cross, uh, it was the most brutal death instrument that the Romans could think of. Uh, And for the Roman people who uh, made it an artwork of putting people to death, that's saying something. And so they hang him up on the cross. And uh, if you know how people died on the cross, they actually died from suffocation. And so imagine that Jesus is nailed there. And what happens is the full weight of your body is pressing down on your lungs. And so the only way you can catch a breath is to lift yourself off your feet. It's the only way you can keep on living is you try to lift your, the body weight up off your lungs. But only problem is you have nails in your feet too. So the excruciating pain of lifting yourself off your feet is too much to come, and eventually people just die of suffocation. After being whipped and beaten all day long, they just give in to death. It's not like Jesus did anything wrong. He was, he was sent there because of the political pressure from the crowd and the religious elite. And it's here that we find ourselves at the cross. It's where we find ourselves today. And I want you to picture it. And close your eyes if you, if you, if you want to. Uh, and picture Jesus there up on that cross. He's hanging there, bloodied and bruised. He's been whipped all night and all day, punched in the face, mocked. Soldiers saying, Look, you, I bet you can't prophesy this. And they, over and over, all night long, they're whipping him and beating him. He's bleeding from his, his face where he's been uh, tortured with an instrument called a cat of nine, nine tails where it's ripping out parts of his flesh. And then the soldiers tie together a crown of thorns and these thorns are not like rose thorns. They're one to two inches long and they press them down into his skull. He is bleeding there. Can you see him? Can you picture the scene? Then he's stripped naked as he's hanging there in humiliation on the cross, as soldiers play dice at his feet for his clothing. The scene is brutal. It's horrific. It's disgusting. And it's in this scenario, in his dying moments, that Jesus utters these seven phrases from the cross that completely baffles and inspires everyone who was within earshot that day and is still doing the same thing to us over 2,000 years later. I know for me, it does that. It baffles me that we would call this Good Friday. And I wonder to myself, what is so good about Good Friday? The day is all about death and dying and brutality and injustice. And I don't know much, but I know those things aren't good. What is so good about Good Friday? And I remember thinking as a kid hearing this story, uh, as you know, you know it all as a kid, and I would say things like, that's a, that's a stupid name for the day Jesus died. They should change it. But what I came to realize, oh, I'm sorry, it's especially when I think of the text, like in Isaiah 53, when it says that it was the will of the Lord to crush his son. But if we look at it in other translation, it says that it pleased the Lord to crush his son. I don't, I don't, get, I don't get that. It pleased the father to crush his son. I've got, I've got two kids and possibly another. We may be adopting another one. I could not put them to death for anyone's behalf. It definitely wouldn't please me. 
What does it mean that it pleased the father to crush his son? What good could possibly come out of something so terrible? What is so good about Good Friday? And as I, as I pursued the answer to these questions, uh, I looked at Jesus' words on the cross throughout the whole week, and I'm realizing that not only do these seven words from the cross uh, give us ringside access into the last agonizing moments of Jesus' life, but it also gives us a clear part, picture of the heart, the mind, and the will of God. So let's look at these in turn. The seven words of Christ as he's hanging up on the cross. They lead Jesus out to the place of the skull called Golgotha. uh, And he's hanging there. He's hanging there between two thieves. And as he's looking out over the crowd and they hoist him up over the crowd and he's he's bleeding there half naked. And he's looking out over the crowd and he utters this first phrase. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so on one hand, we look at this phrase and, and we see that what God is trying to communicate, the good thing that God is trying to communicate is that Christ came for the forgiveness of sins. That is a good thing. It's, the reason why it's so good is because it's our sins that put him there. Matter of fact, it's our sins that kept him there until it was all finished. Picture that. Jesus is looking out over the crowd and people are hoisting him up and they're, and they're making fun of him and they're mocking him and everything that's going on. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't know that I am God come in the flesh. At any moment, I can send down a, a 12 legions of angels to put all this to rest. I am God. But Father, forgive them. They don't understand. They don't know who it is that they're doing this to. On the other hand, Jesus is looking out and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. And he's not talking about his political opponents. He's talking about the people that were in the crowd. He's talking about the religious officials. He's talking about the people that were there that loved him. He's talking about the people there that they didn't really know who he was. He's talking about everybody in the crowd, their sinfulness. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what it is that they're doing. They don't understand that it took me coming in the form of a baby, leaving my throne in heaven to undo the things that they've done in their lives. He's still talking to us today. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what it is they're doing. We're reminded from this statement that we're in need of God's forgiveness and God is the only one to give it. And he says that I would give it willingly to anyone who wholeheartedly asks for it. It's good. Good Friday is good because of the forgiveness of God. And as he's he's hanging up there, he's he's looking out in the faces in the crowd, and he starts to recognize some of the faces, and a couple of the faces he sees in the crowd are his mother and one of his best friends, John. And he looks, he looks at his mom, who I'm thinking by this point she was a widow because we don't see uh, Jesus' father, Joseph, in the story. And so not only has she lost her husband, which would have made her a lowly person in their society, but now she's losing her son. And he looks at her and he looks at John. He says, woman, and it's a term of endearment. Don't freak out. He says, woman, behold your son. And he looks at John, he says, behold your mother. And so two things are happening here and both of them are so good. 
One is that this is the initiation of the New Testament church. A lot of us come from families uh, that I'm sure some days we wake up, we really wish we were in a different family. I'm the, I'm the only one. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's just some days. But we see in the initiation of this New Testament church that bloodlines can be put to the side for the bloodline of Christ. We are made new under the blood of Christ. We are one family under the blood of Christ. Jesus is still saying to us today, woman, behold your son. Father, behold your daughter. Brother, behold your sister. Because in Christ, we are one family. So good what Christ has done for us. On the other hand, we can see the compassion of Christ that even in the midst of suffering on a cross, to the point of near exhaustion on the cross, he wasn't preoccupied with his suffering to the point where he, didn't, he couldn't look at his, the lowly status of his, of his mother and have someone still care for her after he left. We see the compassion of God in the words of Christ. And we're reminded of this compassion and we're reminded of some of the words of Jesus when he said, if, if, I, can, if I can have compassion and feed the birds of the air, if I can have compassion on the lilies of the field and clothe them, what makes you think that I won't have compassion and love you too? We see the compassion of God in Jesus' statements from the cross and it is good. And as he's hanging there on the tree, he's, like I said, he's hanging between two, soul, two uh, criminals. And one criminal calls out to Jesus and he said, man, you talked all that mess when you were alive. Why don't you get yourself down and, and take us with you? Because I'm trying to get out of here. And, the, and then the other thief turns to the, to the first thief and he says, man, be quiet. You, you and I, we're, we're here for an intentional purpose. We actually did some stuff. This dude is innocent. There's no reason he should be up on his cross. And in that moment, the spirit of God wakes up this second criminal and he realizes Jesus for who he is. And he says, Jesus, please remember me when you get to your kingdom. He didn't ask for a special place in line. He didn't ask to get down out of suffering. He said, Jesus, remember me when you get there. And Jesus turns to this thief and says, truly, I say to you, you, today you will be with me in paradise. What? What good news from the cross? Because in this moment, we see the salvation of God on full display. We see exactly what Jesus had come to do. We see that even a thief, as he's hanging there on the cross, he didn't, he didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to say a whole bunch of, of Hail Marys for the forgiveness of his sins. He didn't have to go to church five times a week. He didn't have to do all these things. He didn't have to get baptized. He didn't have to do anything except recognize Jesus for who he was and say, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. I recognize your authority. Bow me under it. We're reminded from this passage that if we confess our sins with our mouth and we believe with our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That is good news from the Bible. That is good news from the cross. And not only that, we see how sovereign God's grace is. God, Jesus could have very easily said, you know what? I, everybody's forgiven. You, you get salvation. You get salvation. You get salvation. 
He didn't do that. He took one thief. You might have have heard us say through this uh, series we've been going through in the book of Romans that our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. If I want to make a vessel made for destruction, I will make a vessel made for destruction. If I want to make a vessel of grace, I will make a vessel of grace. I will give pity who, who I want to give pity. I will show mercy who I want to show mercy. And in these moments, we can see how good God is that he, he saved either one of them. They were getting their just, but he saved one. God is so good. As he's hanging up there, it's been hours at this point. Imagine that, suffering for hours on end. I, I get a splinter. And like five minutes in, I'm, I'm ready to cut the finger off. <laughs> this man has been suffering for hours. And in those moments, in a, lot, in a loud voice, he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think sometimes we read the Bible and we forget to read emotion into the Bible. He was crying these words. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you leave me? You said you'd never leave me. What is so good about God abandoning his son? Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, was not completely in step with the Father. As he's up there on the cross and God is is putting the sins of all his people onto Christ. He's being, the Bible says he's being made into sin. As God is, is, is looking at him, he can't even look at him anymore because the sins of his peoples are so disgusting. He has to turn away. And it's in those moments that God looks away from the son, that the son is crushed. We we don't know what that's like. We, We we were born with God not being able to look at us and us being in perfect step with God. But in that moment, Jesus knew exactly what it was like to be out of step with God. There's this Christian hip-hop artist I like named uh, Timothy Brindle. I know Christian hip-hop, for some of you, is oxymoron. I get it. Um, But he said, uh, Christ suffered more in these three hours on the cross than any sinner would ever suffer in hell. Jesus was willing to face the abandonment of God so that we wouldn't have to experience the abandonment of God for all eternity. So good. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for taking God's abandonment on our behalf. We're reminded that Jesus was willing to be separated from God to experience spiritual and physical death so that we wouldn't have to. As he's hanging there, he's been, he's been up all night long, going from place to place. He, was, he spent the night praying in the garden. So the last time he ate was the night before, and he spent the night uh, sweating and bleeding and being beaten and going through all these, all these trials and everything else. Crown of thorns pushed on his head. All these things are happening to him. The man was completely dehydrated at this point. 
He didn't have anything to drink up to this point. Matter of fact, the Bible says one of the soldiers tried to offer it to him, but when he, when he tasted it, he spit it back out. But at this point, his work is done. His mission is coming to a close. He left it all out on the field. And so he, I don't know if it was in anguish, if it was in a loud voice, but it was loud enough for people to hear it. And he said, I thirst. Can you imagine that? Jesus called himself the source of living water. Remember the story of the woman at the well? He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. Jesus, the source of living water, is now thirsty. The full humanity of God on display. And Jesus is starting, as, he, as he's suffering, he's starting to recall some of his favorite psalms that are giving him comfort, which, side note, read your psalms. God's word can bring you comfort. He's, he's recalling Psalm 22, verse 14, when it says, I'm poured out like water, and my, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like, it's like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus is recalling Psalm 22. He's also recalling another psalm, and we sing it sometimes at church. It says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul yearns for you. I am so thirsty to be with you again. The rest of that psalm says, when shall I... When shall I come and appear before my God? Jesus is recalling all these psalms to give himself comfort. And we're, remind, we're reminded of the full humanity of Christ in these moments. That even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% man. And his body had been tortured. But that's good news that God is 100% man. Because it makes the Bible true when it says that he faces temptation in every single way that we do, yet was without sin. Because now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Jesus' humanity on full display, his weaknesses remind us of how good Christ is. And so in a loud voice, as as things are coming to a close, he belts out, it is finished. Now, I'm sure the the political and religious elite of that time, they were like, yes, finally we got him to recant. Finally, he's going to turn away from this foolish mission to get people to believe that he's God come in the flesh. We got him. But this this wasn't a statement of giving up. This wasn't Jesus saying, you know what? Uh, This hurts, so I'm going to go home. Uh, You guys can let me down at any point. This this is not what that is. This is a, a statement of victory. He had done it. Everything he came to do, he accomplished. Saving his people from them from their sins, fulfilling the law perfectly, getting God's people back. Purchasing those who are, who are without God, who have no knowledge of God. He had come to do it, and his job was done. It is finished. Matter of fact, he could have said, paid in full. All their debts are paid. I got them. We're reminded 
that what Jesus starts, he's going to see all the way through to completion. So good that Christ came. He could have, like I said, he could have at any moment in his whole life called down 12 legions of angels and made any of his life stop. But he saw it through to completion. We're also reminded that Jesus didn't come to simply experience what it was like to be a human being. He came on a mission to save sinners from eternal torment in hell. And he did it. He was victorious. And at this point, it's probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus had been on the cross for about six hours. And, and since about noon, it's been pitch blackout. And I wish we could... I wish there was a way that we could turn the lights down. I don't want us to do it, by the way. I wish there were a way that we could turn the lights down. You ever, you ever been in the dark, like out in the woods, and, and the wildness of nature is surrounding you? Uh, usually in the Bible, when darkness descends on the place, it's because the punishment of God has descended upon that scene. God is punishing sins. And if, if we're so scared of the dark out in the wild, can you imagine what it was like at the scene of the cross? as the punishment of God is raining down on the place. It's, it's tangible. You could, you could feel it surrounding you. It's in that scene that Jesus raises up his final words to God, and I'm sure he's, he's in complete agony as he's lifting himself off of his, his nailed-in feet to give one last breath, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So good, because we see that Jesus is looking forward to the reunion with the Father. He says, Daddy, I'm coming home. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Nothing that this earth has done to me has taken me away from you. I commit myself to you. Jesus trusted God completely, even to the point of dying on a cross. And we're reminded that we can trust God with whatever life throws at us as well. We can, we, can, we can go through sorrow or depression in our lives, and we can still say, because those things weigh down our spirit, we can say, God, but in your, into your hands I commit my spirit. As we're going through, like, sinful temptations, we can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's too big for me to handle, but I, I trust you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. As we go through stressful relationships, uncertainty in life, not knowing where we're going to get our next meal or, or live next because our house is being taken away from us, even to the point where we see death knocking at our door, we can say, but Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus is recalling Psalm 31 as he's, as he's thinking about this. Uh, Psalm 31, it says, uh, verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. But I think Christ is actually wanting us to go back and look at the rest of that psalm to see what it is he's pointing to. And if we read the end of that psalm, uh, Jesus is saying from the cross as an encouragement, love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who has pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. Jesus, in his very last moments, thought enough of us to still give us encouragement to keep going and look forward for the next coming of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Why is Good Friday so good? Why would it please the Father to put his son to death? 
I think we could find the answer to that in this verse in Colossians. It says, for God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Some will look at the death of of Jesus on the cross and say something so brutal, so senseless, so gruesome, so unjust could never be a good thing. But here's the thing. God doesn't measure good and evil as we do. God is able to take what we would consider the awful things of this world and use them for his good purposes. Jesus' death on the cross was used to eternally secure all those who God predestined to be his adopted children. That's why it pleased the father to crush his son, because in the crushing of his son, he was redeeming a people for himself for all eternity. Good Friday could actually be translated as Holy Friday or God's Friday. It's the one day in time that God had been waiting for since he created everything when he could fulfill the promises he made to Adam and Eve in the garden that he was going to crush Satan's head and redeem his people. It's, it's the one point in all of eternity when, when finally when the vision that he gave to Isaiah in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant was going to come to pass. It was finally the day in all eternity when God could buy his children back from the jaws of hell so that they can live eternity with them in heaven. There's nothing else we could call it except Good Friday. And see, if the story ended here, uh, it'd, be, it'd be a good story. It'd be a pretty good story. Like, Jesus dies. He fulfills the law perfectly, uh, dies on our behalf, but, but he's dead. Um, and there'd be no need for us to continue to worship Christ. Uh, he'd just be another dead dude in a long line of dead dudes. I mean, wise, don't get me wrong, but he'd just be another dead dude. That would be the case if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. And that's exactly what we celebrate on Easter morning, that Christ didn't stay dead. That because of everything he said, because he did raise himself from the the dead, he is God in the flesh like he said he was. He's coming back to redeem his people. That is the reason why Good Friday is so good, because it points us to the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. I I love you all. Uh, I want you to walk away from here knowing that even though it was our even, even though it was our sinfulness that put Christ on the cross, God loves you so much that He was willingly able to put His Son to death to redeem you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message of truth. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why you would uh, put your son uh, on a cross to be brutally tortured um, and, and suffer on our behalf. People who you would consider to be your enemies, you died to redeem them. But the good news is, is that you have pleasure on whoever you please, even if they're your enemy. So God, encourage our hearts. 
that even in the death of your son, we can still find something good in it, that Easter is coming so soon when we can celebrate the resurrection of your son and prove to anyone who would challenge it that Jesus is Lord and God come in the flesh. God, we love you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the words that you utter from the cross and giving us hope and encouragement in our greatest times of need. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.